I've worked with data sets of 300,000 points per graph where there were 10 graphs on a page. I don't think anyone wanted to really navigate with the keyboards through all of those points on the scatter plot. Welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at New York University in New York City, where I do research and teach data visualization. That's right. And on this podcast, together we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. Yes, but before we start, a quick note. Our podcast is listener-supported, so there's no ads. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on patreon.com slash datastories. Or if you prefer, you can also send one-time donations on PayPal, going to paypal.me slash datastories. Yeah, it's always super nice when a little payment arrives. It's just a little nod and makes us smile and happy. And even in the long breaks between our episodes, we see sometimes a little donation <laughs> pop up and it reminds us that it's awesome to do this show and it's awesome to have such nice listeners. Yeah. And... <laughs> so keep it, keep it coming. Uh, anyways, let's let's dive into our topic today. So the topic today is one that I've got really excited about this year. It sort of started with working on the German vaccination dashboard and working on that project. It was clear we want to make this as widely accessible for everybody in Germany as possible, right? And so... That's, I have to admit, it's really the first time I really thought about accessibility uh, deeply and not just as an afterthought in a project, but really tried to think of it from the beginning. And I realized how, um, how complex, but also how interesting this whole world of accessibility and inclusiveness is when working with data visualizations. And so we said we need an expert on this to talk to. And here we are with uh, Sarah Fossheim. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, how you got started in the topic? Yes, I'm Sarah Fossheim. I'm located in Norway in Oslo and I'm a designer and developer. And I actually got into the topic of DataViz and DataViz accessibility around 2017. I was also working on a dashboard for health data. Mm-hmm. And that's also like how I how I discovered how complex and interesting it is, as you said, because we had to make so sure that people would not make mistakes based on that data because it handled mm. about people's health. So it had to be very understandable. And in my research on how to make data as understandable as possible and in the user research of trying to figure out what it was that our users needed, I discovered how much of an accessibility issue graphs can be because people want to see the graphs to understand data and to make data more understandable. So seeing that perspective, that's how I got into it. And that's also how I got more into accessibility in itself as well. Because as a lot of people in this industry, I hadn't heard that much about accessibility. Mm -hmm. And then as well, 
once I realized the challenge at hand and the big impact it can have on people's experiences, that's when I got really interested in it and started exploring it more as well. Nice. Yeah. And so I think that the standard association everybody has, and here's a quick test for our listeners. So if you thought of red and green color scales, I think that's like the default association database experts have with accessibility. Like, oh, we need to think of colorblind people, um, which is good, which is good, but it doesn't stop there. So what else are things to consider when, when we talk about accessibility in data visualization? Yeah, I think it's funny because the red and green issue, that's one that I stumbled upon so much because when I started my research in 2017, the majority of articles that I found on Google was make sure your colors are not red and green. Mm -hmm. um, and then moving on from that, I actually realized uh, another color thing is uh, color contrast. And that's one that I find that we, it's also a very obvious one, but it's also one I find that we mess up easily in DataVis because we're so focused on making the very modern looking, very light type of graphs. But if you have a graph, uh, a lot of very light colors, pastel neon colors, you're not gonna necessarily see them. And that's something that you can test yourself by going outside and looking at your phone or at your computer in the sunlight. Mm. You're probably not gonna see those colors either. Uh, and then another thing, of course, is um, for blind people and the visually impaired, alt text or uh, screen reader accessibility. And I say alt text and most people will there as well probably think of alt text, the way we label images, labeling a graph. But again, there, there's so many possibilities of how you can make something accessible for screen readers rather than just adding an extra sentence in an alt text on an image. So yeah, there's so much. <laughs> it's a bit hard to give a, a big quick interview, a uh, quick overview over it because it's it all goes so much in depth so there's so many different areas but when it comes to making things understandable for those with cognitive impairments for example so making sure that uh, the data is clear that everything is well explained that it's not too visually overwhelming uh, on the other hand you have indeed the visually impairments as i discussed and uh, the alt text where you have or the screen reader accessibility sorry where you either have alt text or labeling individual data points or navigation within the graph. You also have um, making sure that the graph is accessible with keyboards so you don't need a mouse. So there's a whole lot going on there. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing that I also didn't really reflect much on, but that made total sense once I learned about it, is that all of us are in some way impaired in different situations, right? So. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're in a car or we have a baby on one arm or uh, we're distracted or, as you say, the sun shines on the display. It's suddenly you realize, oh, we're never in that lab situation and we aren't all identical, but it's like 8 billion people in even more billion different situations mm -hmm. that consume data visualizations, right? And mm -hmm. once you have that perspective... It's so clear that you can't have a one size fits all. Here's my chart. Deal with it. <laughs> Approach <laughs> to to the whole thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and that's actually something I also realized at some point when I was using Google Maps, because it's maybe not the most obvious data visualization in the sense that it's not a a very pretty informational display of data. It's just a GPS, mm -hmm. uh, but at some point they introduced this functionality that 
rather than just telling you how far away from your destination you are, that it also gives you little text updates where it told you when you're in traffic jam, in a traffic jam, it tells you you're at the start of a traffic jam. You're going to be delayed with 10 minutes. Your total time is now going to be updated to 45 minutes. In 10 minutes from now, you're going to be out of it. At this point, it's going to be the worst. Like it gave me this really good, in English, written down breakdown of what was going on rather than just a map with a car that says where I was. <laughs> Yeah. And it's not something like obvious that you think of indeed as an accessibility issue, but in the moment of being stressed, trying to get somewhere, not having to read a map and not having to read a lot of numbers on the screen and someone just telling you, don't worry, in 10 minutes from now it will be over, rather than having to read the table. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an accessibility concern in my eyes as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's this additional complication, it seems to me that the very reason why one uses visualization is because it's so much easier to summarize a large set of numbers, right? But once you can do that visually, how do how to do it in a different way with different channels is a, is a mm -hmm. big challenge. And that's challenging when you're making things accessible for screen readers as well. Because, yeah, as well, because yeah. the most obvious way of uh, making a data set accessible to a screen reader would be by replacing it by a table. But then you're back to the issue that yeah, you're yeah. again <laughs> exactly. ending up with a table, which is what you were trying to move away from. Exactly. Like our main yeah, argument exactly. is we can do better than tables, right? That's, that's our whole like, yeah, tables. And, and yeah. That's so interesting, right? And, and that in a way funny that also you realize, well, you don't always need a complex visualization. In some situations, actually, a simple answer is actually maybe the better form to provide a given piece of information. If you know what people are after, if there's a clear-cut question, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting challenge always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you also have the problem that all text is based on the assumption that there's some text that can be read, right? But I think once you are trying to decode what is any in a in a visual representation you would rather have something that is able to interpret the representation itself which is really hard yeah right so i think what, what i mean by that is that say you have just a line chart i i guess ideally you would like to be able to say oh this is it's going up between this and that and then goes down <laughs> which is not optimal but at least it's a mm -hmm. translation of, mm. a, of a chart but that information is not available <laughs> right so yeah and that yeah. part making that generic is again another challenge because saying the graph goes up and down between certain points it's already a flexible thing but not every line chart is going to be useful <laughs> to hear that it's going up or down so then yeah yeah i saw a paper i'll have to dig that up but just on time series it was recommended by lynn journey by the way shout out to lynn um where they went in great depth of just taking a single time series and categorizing all the patterns you could see or you would want to describe and it's a lot <laughs> it's yeah. not just going up and down there's many many more that are meaningful and interesting and that would require a specific pattern to describe them and and i think that's such an interesting question and, and maybe we go deeper a bit on the role of text really because it seems to be like such an important component um so there was recently this debate on twitter also on ggplot being made more accessible um, and the hope was that there could be an automated way to make ggplot graphics more accessible um, 
Which, first of all, is great. Again, like a lot of frameworks now realize, oh, we have bad to uh, zero to okay, <laughs> let's say, accessibility support, and some of them are trying to improve. And now the interesting thing is there's no chart types in ggplot, right? So it's based on the grammar of graphics. So you just know the encodings. You can only say the x-axis corresponds to the speed of the car and the y-axis corresponds to the number of cylinders or whatever. Um, and then the debate was also about, is that something a blind person would even be interested in? How the spatial arrangement of dots on the page or on the screen are Is that even something we should describe as part of the alt text? Or isn't isn't that actually counterproductive in the sense that what you're basically saying is, well, if you could see, <laughs> you would see a bunch of dots, right? But you can't, right? And so it seems to be almost insulting in a way, <laughs> you know, to, to sort of describe things on that level. And, and then the question is, what's a good level to describe charts in? Yeah, I think that's an, indeed an interesting challenge because especially in that case, because when I saw it, my concern was that when you start to automate a big framework like that, it can't cover every use case. Mm. And as you said, you're going to have so many patterns that might be useful to people and just the spatial arrangement of the dots on the screen. I'm guessing that to most people, that's not going to be useful at all that you're actually going to want to see probably depending on the type of chart, you're going to want to see some general pattern or a general summary and then have the possibility to drill down in the data. Mm -hmm. If you want to adhere the exact correlations between the data and like the exact data points and, and a bit more data like that. But that's also something that when you have one graph for one specific use case, you might have a really great way of generating the alt texts or generating those descriptions and adding the extra the extra information, extra metadata to the individual points and finding those mm -hmm. patterns. Uh, but then you take that to another graph, that's also, let's say, a line chart or a scatter plot or the exact same one, but for a different use case, that's suddenly a lot more scientific or a lot less scientific than the other one. And suddenly you need a completely different level of detail. Mm -hmm. And my concern with automation, and it's the same with... Um, I can't remember their name now, but there was this plugin that people were creating that you could install on your website and then it would try to describe all the images. Oh, wow. I don't mm. remember what it was, but mm -hmm. it was also they tried to advertise themselves as it will also work on graphs. Yeah. But then indeed, the only thing that it can automatically detect oh. on graphs is there's so many points or this is the minimum and maximum value <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> without knowing if that's actually what people are interested in and you're just going to end up making something worse if you try to put a smart text on something and the smart text fails and it doesn't tell you what's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, as you say, it becomes a bit insulting. Yeah, Or yeah, yeah. When you have a graph and it says as a description, this is a bar chart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's super interesting. And and there's so many levels you could describe a chart depending on what you want to draw out of it and how much also pre-interpretation or speculation on the causes or the the mechanisms behind you know, like correlation, causation and so on. So it, it's kind of tricky yeah. on which level to um to describe charts and and there could even or there's even the observation so there's a, a paper I've seen a preview of where the study suggested that if you 
provide too many ready-made insights that people are also a bit like uh, don't like it so much or might react negatively because you're sort of already like taking away the thought from you know from your audience and and the the ability to conclude stuff on yourself which again is the key of database is like oh you see the patterns you draw conclusions it's an active process right and my question is really how can we replicate on the one hand this open exploration, but at the same time, not too totally mechanic and, and overwhelming like stuff, right? Yeah, it's a good balance because I think visually we explore with our eyes and we look at a graph and we try to get what are the patterns, what are the colors, what do those things mean? I think a way of exploring those patterns interactively, for example, by navigating between the data points with your keyboard so you can hear Mm -hmm. each point or so you can hear the groupings or the patterns Mm -hmm. and you can kind of navigate within a graph that might be one route to go for some type of graphs or some type of situations where that's useful but then there's also when you start working with the keyboards then there's also the keyboard accessibility and at which points do things become frustrating to navigate i've worked with data sets of 300,000 yeah. points per graph where there were 10 <laughs> graphs on a page. I don't think anyone wanted to really navigate with Tap the keyboard through all, the- <laughs> through all of those points on the scatter plot. I don't yeah. think anyone's, that's not yeah. a great experience either. But that's the interesting thing because yeah. in order to tidy that up or make it drill downable, let's say in all kinds of modalities, you have to have an idea about the structure of the whole thing, yeah. right? And so it forces you i think if you think about accessibility hard it forces you to be really clear on the purpose of a chart and and its meaning and also the hierarchy of of information that's in it right and so maybe if it's really hard to make accessible annotation for a chart maybe the chart is too complex anyways and you have no idea why it's there (laughs) just to be a bit (laughs) provoking right and so maybe and that's a could be so often people think oh accessibility is an additional set of requirements I have to now fulfill, right? And it's like even more boxes I have to tick <laughs> and even more to-dos on my to-do list. But on the other hand, you could also see it as a really um, something that enhances your original design to be much simpler and much more on point because otherwise it's it doesn't work anyways <laughs> for anybody, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a really good overlap between UX and accessibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And especially coming from the perspective of having worked with UX for so long and being a UX designer at heart or a UX designer front-end developer crossover at heart and from both sides seeing, as you say, like the information architecture and then coming into the accessibility space, that makes it for me very clear how how much of an overlap there is. And as you say, if a graph becomes too difficult to make accessible, it's usually a good point for you to take a step back and ask yourself, why am I building this if it's hard to communicate this information to someone who cannot see the graph or to someone who has any other impairment? Mm. Then maybe I'm communicating my graph wrong altogether. And maybe the answer is going to be, no, your graph is fine. You're just, data this is difficult to make accessible. But in a lot of cases, you're also going to find your graph is just complicated. And most people will probably appreciate it if you broke it down even more because I've done so many user tests with people where we show up with really 
really smart graphs where we're proud of ourselves because we designed something beautiful and smart and we spent so much time on it. And then people see it and they're like, a bar chart would have been easier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I really like this idea of an extra layer of um, simplification. I I too have experienced a lot of situations where I think we, we get really excited about something, but it turns out... I mean, if there is one constant fact that I keep coming over and over again is that we tend to design things that are too complex. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> um, and that doesn't ha- have to mean that I, everything needs to be least common denominator or super simple, right? No, exactly. But if you do sure. something complex, make sure maybe you communicate the gist of what this is about in another modality and make yeah. sure, I yeah. don't know, that if you have a weird encoding that you use it two or three times across the page and support it. Maybe you use color in a certain way, support it with shape and a direct label in a chart that makes it better for everybody. And suddenly, if you provide these multiple cues, you don't rely on a single channel channel that can easily be not there or break, right? So it's it's a resilience thing also. Like, And never assume people will read the caption and figure out all the crazy encodings you have done. I always assume people just see a part of it or just briefly glance at something and uh, or have yeah different modalities that that are more suitable for them and then and then you can do really rich and also maximalist stuff in a way it doesn't have to be super simple and minimalist right it's more like oh you have suddenly more repertoire yeah. if you think about it that way right yeah, I completely agree and it, it's so good regardless to have the data available in different formats and I think it's a bit the same and again when we talk about screen reader accessibility compared to when we talk about generally how we design graphs mm-hmm. or how we design for example dashboards it's often common to have some insights that are just generated where you have some high level overview then you have a higher order graph in which you can c- drill down and then there's a table that's like a very common structure mm-hmm. uh, for reports and I think that's something that works quite well when it comes to how are you going to describe mm-hmm, a chart mm-hmm. by itself Maybe not to that huge extent, but you have something where you describe the chart in a small in a small way so people get the gist of it. If they want to navigate through it, they can. If they want to see the full data set, they can navigate to it as well, but they have a couple of different entry points. At least for more complex graphs, I think it's generally quite good to give people a bit of options. Because that also, yeah. again, takes care of letting them explore without making it too overwhelming for everyone at once. Yeah. And if you look at good data visualizations, often they do that. They have a great title. They have an intro sentence that already captures the gist. Or, I don't know, there's a good metaphor. So, yeah, annotations, like all the data journalism stuff, right? If you think that through to the end, bam, you have really nicely accessible stuff. But what do you do? Like, this is a situation where there's, like, more communication situation with a clear author. What do you do for pure, like, data exploration? Let's say... uh, you're a scientist and you have this new data set about, I don't know, wind forecast or <laughs> brainwaves or whatever. Um, how could you make more accessible database in an exploration setting? Uh, what I've noticed with scientists is as much as we want to move away from tables, it's one thing um, they do. In, the, the scientists I've worked with, they did enjoy having, despite having visualizations, even visually having a table, because it also gives them the choice of, uh, they could choose 
how they would visualize it. They could choose mm -hmm. which columns exactly to look at. Again, as you say, don't make assumptions and let them try to make the assumptions themselves and try to find the insights themselves. Mm -hmm. So again, from an accessibility point of view, when you have visual stuff, again, things in a different, um, provide everything in different formats. So there is the, the table format. So there are the visualizations where you can click and filter and, and move around in, in an accessible way. Make sure it's screen reader accessible, make sure it's that you can use your keyboard and so on. And yeah, when it comes to screen reader accessibility, I think that's the area where stuff like uh, hearing a bit of sonification in combination with tables could maybe help because if you're in scientific data sets, you have mm -hmm. large patterns that you want to find. For example, sonification might help you just discover where those patterns are and then maybe you can navigate to the data sets and actually see what the patterns mean and get down to the details. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah. For, for scientific purposes in the past, I've very much moved away from just generating alt text because there is, but I'm also coming from a perspective where everything had to be very accurate. Yeah. Because the moment something has to be accurate and you're bringing in any, we're going to try and do something fancy to detect some patterns and put it in a nice sentence. <laughs> uh, there's a lot mm. that can go wrong and you're again taking on all the responsibility on you and taking everything away from the user to actually explore and find those in insights by themselves yeah there's a new podcast on data sonifications called loud numbers from miriam and duncan friends of the show of course i should mention <laughs> but they just have their first episode out <laughs> and they made like a techno trance track out of uh, like climate change data and and it's a bit like song exploder so they explain you what all the layers mean and at the end you hear the full track it's super nice so i can recommend it we'll, we'll i should it listen to it yeah it's really cool and they they have like 10 or so episodes coming up like they they pre-produced like really uh, a bunch of episodes so it's going to be exciting have you seen the video of the people who made the space images with sonification uh yeah i think you showed it to me but our listeners haven't yeah so, so uh <laughs> true <laughs> Uh, university, I think it was Harvard or Stanford. I don't remember exactly which one. I should have looked it up. Uh, but they had um, this, the images from space from NASA, NASA that the Hubble Space Telescope had taken, I think, uh, where they the light points of the stars they were vi they were visualized were sonification. So you would hear a little pattern as. Uh, the image moved from left to right on the screen, mm -hmm. you would hear where the lights or where the stars on the picture were located, kind of. Or you would hear where there were a lot of stars and where there were, was yeah. more darkness. But it really created nice music as well to listen to. So in addition to just being a nice way of communicating how much light there was in the sky, it was also a lot nice track to listen to. And it was yeah. it, it's kind of interesting when people also explore the more artistic side of things. And I really like seeing any type of exploration in that space. Totally, yeah. I just remember we had an episode on sonification of gravitational waves. That was one oh. of our crazier yes. episodes. And so we had a researcher who oh, yeah, <laughs> sonified the sound of the gravitational waves you could like capture from space. And yeah. the beautiful thing is these waves are in the audible range. So there's no transformation needed. It's directly more or less taking the same wavelengths and making sound from it, which was insane. And and it was really insightful and interesting. So yeah, we'll link to that one too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think what, one one challenge here is also whether I see from from the design standpoint how to design data sonifications that go with data visualizations at the same time. I think that's an interesting challenge versus having general purpose tools that can translate an existing representation to something that is sonified, right? I think both both are interesting directions. And I have to say, I don't know which one is more popular right now, but there, there's definitely an issue of how to create, uh, let's say, quote unquote, editors that help people create uh, these kind of solutions. Yeah, this made me think of, um... Yeah, this made me think of the other conversation that's been going on around the tools within the database space. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, um, it's not specific to sonification, but in general, the tools we have out there to create our database, how much, at this point, most of them are not very accessible. They don't offer very much accessibility options. But then the question is again, how much do you want them to automate that? How much do you want them to take care of that versus giving you the tools to do it yourself as a mm. developer or as a designer? And right. yeah. those are two different perspectives. Yeah. And I think both can also coexist. Some people will need to do it themselves and some tools yeah. might for specific use yeah. cases be able to take care of it for you. Mm. But I think both, both spaces are very interesting. But tools could also prompt you to provide certain information. So I remember, for instance, that alt text for images became like a warning. If you don't supply them, they become a warning in sort of your, your linting workflow. Yeah. So if yeah. you're programming, you will not forget usually if you have like a tool that checks your code, you will usually be reminded to supply alt text. And But we don't do that in database. So there's no reminder in D3 or there's no yeah, reminder okay. in Tableau to, to describe your chart, right? And but it could be done or it could be helpful. Um, I think it actually would be to, to some degree, some warning. Uh, one of the issues I've had with Dataverse is how little conversation in general there is about accessibility. Hmm. Not just our tools aren't accessible, but we yeah. don't even know that our tools aren't accessible. When I started, I figured I could use D3 out of the box almost, like I could just use D3 the way it was shown in the documentation and that my graph would be fine. Because it was in the documentation, I'm following the example. Of course, it's going to be accessible. I'm using this tool. Mm. And nothing, as far as I'm aware, maybe it's updated meanwhile, but most of those don't mention anything in the documentation of, hey, we're not accessible by default. You want to add this or this or this to it. Yeah. And as long as there's no broader conversation around your graphs are not accessible by default, most people are gonna, probably going to think, as I thought in 2016, oh, I'm using D3 the way it is in the documentation, or I'm using Tableau, or I'm using whatever tool the way it is intended to use, my graphs are going to be fine. Mm. But they're not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's tricky. And, and But I think that for many people leads to that journey we, <laughs> so many of us have taken. It's like, first, not be aware of it at all. Then realize how much requirements there are, for instance, in an official context. Like, if you do something in the United States for a government body, bam, suddenly you have all these lists of requirements. And I had discussions around the screen height in like interactive installations, you know, so 
we designed like something with touch screens and then was like, yeah, but if you have a wheelchair, you can't touch it. So it needs to go one meter down. I was like, no, that doesn't work. You know, the whole piece doesn't work that way. And suddenly you have these, you know, yeah. you have that feeling of, oh man, it's such, it's so hard to, to fulfill all these requirements and it's all this extra work, right? But that would, would not be the case if, if we had thought of it from the beginning. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I'm wondering, and that's, I think, an interesting question too. Let's say you're an artist or you do really purely experimental work, right? Should you be held to the same accessibility requirements as somebody building, again, like a health insurance website or something? Like, are there different l levels of requirements or, or a different bar um, in terms of how... How, how specific are you? Or maybe do you do things just when you say, ah, it's an inherently visual experience I'm designing. You know, it's, I, I don't want it to be replicated in another modality. <laughs> is that a valid perspective or is, are you then just being an asshole? <laughs> I think it's interesting to think about because the way you phrase it, I definitely agree that like when you're a government body making health information, for example, how to get your corona vaccine Uh, yeah. If you're trying to make that available, it's so important and it's so crucial that it's accessible because people will literally be negatively impacted health-wise right. if it isn't. So it feels like it's much less forgiving compared to if you're an artist and you're making uh, a website visualizing how many sandwiches you've eaten in a year because you think that will be very beautiful to look at. <laughs> I think that's definitely more forgiving than the health website, yeah, accessibility-wise. Yeah. From an ethical point of view, I think when you're creating something and you're creating something intending for people to use it, it is kind of asshole move to say, or this, if you're really saying this is something visual and I'm not going to put any effort into it deliberately so blind people cannot see it because the yeah. only way my art can be experienced is with the eyes, that feels a bit exclusionary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think uh, when it comes to, for example, alt texts, let's say, or screen reader accessibility of your sandwich website, maybe you don't have to put as much effort into it than the health websites. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, your alt text saying, I ate 50 sandwiches this year <laughs> will be more than enough. <laughs> so you don't have to over-engineer yeah. it and there's yeah. an easy solution for the problem. Yeah. But it is an, it is an interesting perspective because... Yeah, especially with DataVis, where there's so much extra that comes into it and where you can very easily have to spend a bit of time researching how to make your DataVis the exact same experience for yeah. a blind person and for a sighted person. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a big difference between, yeah. at that point, the health website or the sandwich yeah, website. Yeah. But. but there's a big, as you say, a big difference between achieving parity in terms of, hey, yeah. this is as good as that other version, mm -hmm. right? And on the other hand, such a little effort like literally a 10 minute effort goes such a long yeah. way right exactly and so why not yeah. just do it yeah <laughs> I mean, you know <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean it's so. always better to have something that's somewhat accessible yeah, than something exactly. that's not accessible yeah, in the yeah. sense that of course if you write completely wrong alt texts it's not going to be better because the user will get wrong information yeah, and but yeah. If you write correct alt text rather than providing an interactive experience, that can be a good first step. And I think especially in product development, where we start from prototype to MVP to a first version to then 
more continuous deployment, I think it's also good for our own mental health and for our own productivity to look at it as we have an MVP, we have a prototype, we're going to do the same with the accessibility. The first version can just have the alt text. Mm -hmm. And we'll revisit it next month or in two months after we learned more, after mm -hmm. we cleaned up our code base, after things are better in place, and then we'll add the table or then we'll add the interactivity. Because right. you can't solve everything at once, everything. then you're never going to make any progress. Yeah. But again, if you make it part of the progress at yeah. uh, of the process at the beginning, it's often much easier. That's the same with designing responsiveness. Like yeah. with responsiveness, I think many of us had made the experience that, well, if you think of it from the beginning, it's actually not that big of a deal. It's always a big deal if you design something for an exact size and then you have to think about mobile at the end, right? And so if you generalize that thought, maybe it, it helps with like just thinking of the information architecture and the labeling and the redundant encoding. And uh, from the start, it's a better design. See, not so hard. Uh, <laughs> what are other things like, let's say people are on board now, um, how they could get started or what are things you would like by default check for in an MVP or what, what are good resources for people to broaden their knowledge uh, in the field? Before any resources, my first advice would be use a screen reader yourself. Mm -hmm. They come for free on Mac and Windows, and I'm assuming on Linux as well. On Mac, you have uh, VoiceOver. On mm -hmm. Windows, you have Narrator. Those two are shipped with operating system. Because for me, that was the biggest thing that has been helping me trying to understand how to make anything from websites to charts accessible, understanding how people can navigate it and understanding how alt text is read. For example, in front of every image, if it uses the image component, your laptop is going to read image and then the alt text. Mm -hmm. So just using that already gives you an indicator that your alt text should not start with image <laughs> off because otherwise your screen reader is going to read image image of a cat mm -hmm. rather than image cat. <laughs> <laughs> so for those kind of things, I would say really start using a screen reader yourself if you're a designer or a developer and you're doing user tests or testing your stuff. Mm -hmm. Try to test it in really bad circumstances. Test it outside. Test it when you're stressed waiting for the bus. Test it when you're running to work or something. Mm -hmm. uh, before you even start looking into what exactly do I have to do, just get a bit familiar with what actually does it mean, accessibility. Move away from just the articles and try to get some experience yourself. And then when it comes to accessible data in specific, I, there's the article that you mentioned by Amy on Nightingale, uh, which mm -hmm. is about uh, how to write alt texts uh, for data visualization. There's also uh, the GitHub uh, called uh, DataVis Accessibility or DataVis Ally, written A11Y, where we have collected a list of resources related to how to get started on DataVis and also a list of people who are working with DataVis accessibility and several tools you can use and links to other articles and tutorials. So that's going to be the best place to go and find a directory for everything else. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Are there any other good examples? Like, have you seen in the wild things like where you say like, hey, nice solution or that was nicely done or <laughs> this tool is on a good track or this framework? So I remember seeing Data Wrapper already a year ago added like color uh, warnings 
and contrast warnings when people pick custom colors. And I, I thought that was a nice touch. It's like just a little. So when users ha have the chance to do a free input to give them a hint of, ah, there, there might be a contrast issue here. So there, have you seen, or have you seen well-designed like graphics or, or solutions that, that treated accessibility well? I was actually pleasantly surprised by Apple's accessibility. Mm -hmm. Or Apple actually does design generally quite okay. So it makes sense that their accessibility is good too. But so many of the graphs out there in the wild are so inaccessible. I think 95% of mm. the graphs that I come across have a lot of issues. And I think Apple's health apps, mm -hmm. uh, so they have the health app and then they have the activity app for, uh, for the watch, both of them, both on watch and iPhone. Mm -hmm. They do the whole screen reader accessibility thing really well. All the labels are read correctly, and they also do it in the sense that they break up the data in in the different levels of detail. Nice. When you get to your uh, to the homepage, you first have a summary, and both visually and by the screen reader, the summary is just a summary, very quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you can drill down where you get a little bit more details and a bit more numbers, and then you can actually navigate through your entire day of data or your entire year of data mm -hmm. one by one. So if you would want to tap through 360 points of data, you probably could, but you don't necessarily have to get there and have to do it in order to understand what your general trends yeah, of awesome. the data is. So I thought that one was quite good. Mm -hmm. It would be super nice to have like breakdowns of well-designed, like, you know, navigation with keyboards and whatnot. Uh, and I don't know, have that as a video or something, because I think many people have no idea actually what usability or, or nice UX is in that context. And mm -hmm. um, and even if you say, well, try out a screen reader, I think if you use a screen reader every day, you have a totally different proficiency. Exactly. Level, you yeah. know, and so <laughs> we need to learn from people who are actually... Yeah experts are like really used to to using screen readers what works and what doesn't and yeah i'm super curious to learn more there yeah leonie watson is someone who's talking a lot about data vis accessibility as well mm -hmm. and and she's a blind person and for a conference talk a couple of months ago we actually interviewed her and someone else who both used uh, i think it was the high charts uh, component library that they or the high charts graph library that they yeah. tested out and gave a review of Cool. And yeah. it was quite interesting to see and, and also hear their perspectives. And mm -hmm. my, yeah, if you are going to do user tests or if you're not going to do user tests, do user tests. <laughs> and if you're going to do user tests, try to include some disabled people as well. Yeah. But also yeah. make sure your product is somewhat accessible before you take it to them. Because I've mm -hmm. also been in user tests where... We gave, um, we gave the user our app and we said, try to use it, go to this specific page. And all the app navigation read was icon, icon, icon. <laughs> so we couldn't even get to the user test. <laughs> um, and in order to get that basic level, like make sure your icons are labeled, make sure your images are labeled, make sure your links work correctly. Those are things that you can try yourself in the browser. For example, X is a mm -hmm. tool that you can download for it. Or Google Chrome has also Lighthouse built in where you can run an audit. Yeah. Yeah. And with most websites, it should be possible to have a 100% score on accessibility in Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. That's not going to guarantee that your website or your graph is accessible because you might have written bad alt text and it will still right. say that you have alt text <laughs> and you have a 100% score. But at the very least, you can get the tiny mistakes that you would usually make because your 
not having a linter in your code and nothing is telling you that you didn't write all texts and yep. you were in a rush, those kind of mistakes at least get mm. picked up by it. I, I run it always, uh, like when I start to turn prototype into production code, there's always huge issues. Yeah. <laughs> Even like, yeah, it's, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it gives you a nice list to check off at least the basics. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I have to say I, I, I really like your recommendation of trying out uh, mm -hmm. screen readers. Uh, I have to admit, I think I, I never did. <laughs> so I'm a little ashamed that I never did. And it uh, seems like perfect first step, right? I mean, right after listening to this, the next thing I would like to do is to give it a try. It seems I'm, I'm pretty sure it's it's quite an, an experience. <laughs> And and yeah, and also the second one thing I was wondering, I was I was about to mention before is that we almost not only we never seem to think about these problems, but we also don't have, or at least I don't often have exposure to blind or visually impaired people. I, I don't know exactly why. It's um, for some reason if you don't reach out. Uh, explicitly and do want to do that, you don't have much exposure to 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 people that, that have this kind of impairments or other kind of impairments. So I think that's partly also the challenge that is not just not aware of that. We don't see it. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's um, it's a problem, I guess. We we don't have enough awareness. Yeah, that's something something big that has to. I think naturally over time will come, but it's. It's the first issue you kind of run into with accessibility. And it's the same with other ethical and inclusion, inclusive design and ethical design and accessibility and uh, social justice, politics, anything. Mm. If you don't have exposure to it, if you're not aware of the fact that there is an issue, you're probably not going to do something about it. That's also why there are so many people who think that racism isn't a thing anymore because mm. they themselves are not exposed to it. Yeah, white people so, agree yeah. racism is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a big part of it is going to be educating people and, and showing people, hey, what you're building right now, it's not working. And these are the people you should listen to and, and, and raise the awareness around it and, and make mm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, what clicked really was moving away from looking at these very specific individual subgroups like, oh, there's 3% of males who have that specific red-green blindness, or, you know, or there's so and so many blind people. But if you really think, well, everybody's different, right? It's all on a continuum, like, and everybody has, has a different, is a different point in multidimensional space, right? And we just tend to think yeah. what's normal is very close to uh, how we are personally. Mm -hmm. And if you sort of, but if you really look around then and say like, well, but if we really look how different people are, you realize, oh, there's much more different people than same people. <laughs> you know, mm. it's, it's a very simple thought. But <laughs> if you take that serious, suddenly I think you approach things differently. Like that there is no standard human. And, uh, and also, Enrico, I have to say, also in science, there's always this assumption that the, um, the, the young oh, college yeah. student... Uh, a well-educated young yeah. college student generalizes to world population in, <laughs> in, the standard. in, in perception <laughs> issues, you know? Yeah, Which it's is just wrong, and that's yeah. been proven yeah. wrong, right? But it's yeah. it's just Completely. such a, yeah. it's just so convenient, you know? <laughs> but I think we need to overcome that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
But again, I think it makes things actually more interesting. So I don't see it as a burden, <laughs> more as an interesting uh, opportunity. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for all these pointers. We'll we'll put um, links in the show notes. And also our listeners, if you have positive, negative, other experiences with the topic, let us know. Uh, also, if there are good solutions out there, are great starting points. I think many people are overwhelmed with um, once they dive into it, they realize, oh my God, there's so much I don't know. And then there's a certain paralysis. So any any easy ways to get into the topic and make things a bit be better, just share it with us and we'll, we'll share it further. In the meantime, thanks so much, Sarah. That was thank super you as well. Interesting and, and helpful. Thanks so much, Sarah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for yeah, having you me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories, where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our homepage at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.